Welcome to Herbal Explorations, a podcast hosted by Wilson Lau of New Herbs. Each week, we speak to leading experts about what's happening in the herbal industry. Welcome to another episode of Herbal Explorations. This week, we have the great fortune to have my good friend, Roy Upton, the president of the American Herbal Pharmacopeia on. We'll be discussing the importance of high quality herbal research on the herbal supply chain. Roy is one of the most knowledgeable people on herbs that I know. And if and if you have not recommended, uh, you have not checked out the great monographs that AHP produces, I highly recommend that you support the great work that they do. Nerves is a proud supporter of their work, and um, I just love the work you guys do over there at AHP. Roy, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do at the American Herbal Pharmacopeia? Sure. Um, I started AHP. 20 years ago, based on the need for quality control guidance in the industry, um, I think you probably know as well as anybody that uh, natural products came back into vogue probably in the 1960s with the Back to Nature Revolution, and the herbal industry kind of grew from that. But they had left all their traditional knowledge behind. There was very little traditional knowledge of Chinese medicine, very little traditional uh understanding of Ayurveda, and and frankly, not a lot of understanding on the quality that goes into Western herbal products either. So herbal products and they continue to grow. Quality control didn't keep up. The United States Pharmacopeia had just kind of discarded a long time before that. So there was really no good quality control initiatives around, and that's why we started AHP. That's great. You know, as part of <clears throat> New Herbs creating our organic uh, Akinesia Propria Aerial Extracts standardized to USP standards, I, I had the opportunity to revisit um, the Akinesia monographs. I read three of them. They're, the quality and depth of work is just amazing. Like, I was truly, like, you know, just because I don't deal with it on a daily basis. So it's just, to me, it was like everything from growing to you know, the, the active constituents and everything. So I was just really, really amazed by the death and quality and death of work. And it's just until you revisit it and you actually put your hands on it and start using it, you just don't remember how great they are. And, you know, I, I think it's one of the most, the best resources out there if you're going to do a product and, you know, how do you see the industry? How could the industry use these opuses that you produce, these herbal monographs that are just amazing? How do you, how do you envision the industry using them? Well, I think you you actually hit the nail on the head. When you actually look at what the monographs contain, it contains everything that pretty much every department in the company needs to know. So. Most quality control standards, like general USP or European pharmacopoeia or Chinese pharmacopoeia, whatever it be, they're only for the quality control department. They're only, you know, you, you test the ingredient by this test to contain this amount of constituent, and that's pretty much it. And we recognize that the quality of an herbal ingredient starts with how it's grown, how it's picked, how it's dried. The knowledge base of that herbal ingredient starts with how it was historically and traditionally used, 
and the review of the critical review of the modern research of what we know based on applying a scientific methodology to determining that knowledge base. But virtually any department in a company, from procurement, purchasing people, the people writing the specs, the research and development department that are developing the product, they need to know what dosage do you use, what species, for example, of echinacea, which species of echinacea should we use, which part of the plant, root, leaf, seed, whatever, should be used. Uh, dosages, effects, indication, uh, substantiated structure and function claims. Most importantly, what's the chemical characterization of the plant by that will give us the greatest confidence that it'll live for intended benefit. And we recognize that it's that whole breadth of knowledge that's needed virtually for every department in a company. So research and development can use it for the purposes in developing a product, dose-wise, label claims, um, spec sheets. Quality control can use it. Here's the constituent profile for the specific test that we should be running. Here are the quality parameters we should be meeting and the purity parameters we should be meeting. The salespeople can use it as an educational tool for retailers, for health professionals that says, here's the document, here's the information, the most critically reviewed information in the English language on this particular botanical, so that if you read this or even a summary of it, you'll know exactly how this should be used and perhaps how it shouldn't be used. Some contraindications, for example. So there's not a department in a company that can't benefit uh, from what's in the a single monograph. It, it's basically a one-stop shop for what you need. I, I really like, you know, I never thought about it um, in the way you have, obviously, because I, I didn't create the, uh, this document or this format, but it really is that, you know, Traditionally, the pharmacopoeia, traditional pharmacopoeia is really meant for quality control and measuring, you know, the ingredient that you're using. But the monographs that you produce, it involves all the departments, including if you're vertically ingrated, even growing, right? I think one of the things that I learned from it a, a lot about it is um, Growing and sourcing, it really helped me, you know, figure out when was a good time for, if we wanted high content of sacoric acid, when was a good time to harvest the echinacea, um, purpurea, aerial parts, when, you know, how much, how to harvest it. It really just, you know, at least allowed me to be very conversant with the, con with the farmers that we work with on how to do it and what we wanted. So I think it was amazing. Um, and how do you think they can contribute to the sustainability of the plants themselves and you know how we use these ingredients? Because I also see that's another aspect where um, the monographs are great, you know. Um, it's actually a, a little bit of a tough question because uh, on, on one hand, we're teaching people how to use the herb. Uh, at the same time, if there's a environmental sensitivity, for example, of a particular herb, uh, it might be cites, it might be a ginseng, for example, or species mm -hmm. of ginseng that's cites listed. Or actually a great example is our OSHA monograph, um, Ligustica porteri monograph. OSHA 
is an extremely important plant for Native American cultures and is marginally popular in the herb industry, um, used sporadically mostly by com companies in the Southwest or the Pacific Northwest. But it grows very sporadically up the mountains of the Southwest. Uh, they actually, actually grows in what are called sky islands. There's no continuous spread of a population. They grow in pockets. And that makes it environmentally sensitive. So when we wrote the OSHA monograph, we had a very strong uh, message with regards to collection and harvest practices so that you collect and harvest in a sustainable way, um, provided guidance on how to replenish the botanical by leaving crowns, for example, even echinacea. If you pick echinacea and guess the foliar in the wild, if you leave a piece of root, even that's about an inch long, that's going to grow back to a new plant the next year. Mm -hmm. um, if you rotate between your fields, between your harvest locations every few years, that allows those new plants to reseed and repropagate. So we made it a point in two ways in, with the OSHA monograph. We provided all this information regarding sustainability and how to replenish the crop. But we also emphasized that it's used for upper respiratory infections, but that many other species of Ligusticum or even Angelicas are also used for upper respiratory infections and contain many of the same compounds. And so that you should only use OSHA when you really need it. Just like I think in Chinese culture, most people know that young people typically don't use ginseng. You reserve it for the old people, right? Because the idea is mm -hmm. if you use the best herb that you can when you're young, well, what are you going to use when you're old? You've already gotten the benefit from when it, but you're right, it no longer works the same way. So you wait until you really need it. So we try to expand people's knowledge of how they should and shouldn't use an herb like OSHA. And we'll do the same thing with the ginseng monograph. Make, you know, what is the culturally, most culturally appropriate way that ginseng was used rather than as a fad, which is what we typically do in the United States. <laughs> That's great. You know, never thought about it that way as well. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, is it, what is the appropriate use of a herb and in what in for during what life cycle you're in i mean that's an amazing way to think bring that practitioner viewpoint into it right because i'm in the actual the herbal herbal side of things where i'm actually just into the plant material and whatnot i don't actually think that deeply sometimes about you know, how people are using this on a day-to-day -day basis um, because I removed myself from, you know, um, not that I ever had the practice of medicine, right, or herbal medicine, um, but, you know, it's one of those things that I'm lucky that my dad's a herbalist and I don't have to think about it. I just have to show up. <laughs> uh, if you about ask your dad, but if you ask your dad or even if you had asked your grandmother, yeah. on any day, they might have been cooking a kanji, for example, yeah. for breakfast and adding jujube dates and lysi berries and something else. And then on another day, they might add a couple of slices of ginseng because it was particularly cold out or it was the winter time 
or in the summertime, they're drinking chrysanthemum tea, right, to, to get rid of the external pathogenic mm -hmm. heat. Mm -hmm. Virtually every Chinese person that I know that grew up in mainland China or even, you know, first generation here had some of that cultural experience, cultural knowledge. Here's a funny story. I remember a bunch of years ago, uh, we celebrated Chinese Medicine Day in San Francisco and we were at a banquet and um, the waiter, this is a waiter in a Chinese restaurant. He's pouring the ice water into our glasses and he's going, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, right? And I know why you don't drink ice cold water on a cold day, but yeah. somebody at the table asked him, why are you telling us not to drink the ice water? So everybody knows it's bad for your digestion and you're about to eat. So it's this cultural knowledge. And that's actually what I really wanted to do with the monographs. It wasn't just to make a quality standard, but it was to revitalize all aspects of traditional knowledge that we either lost in the American Western culture or haven't learned from Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine or other Native American traditions. So that's the real purpose of, of the AHP monograph, to revitalize this cultural knowledge from, from all, not just Western culture, but all cultures. Now that you mention it, you know, culture and is very important and the way we live our lives, because a lot of things that we, that I do, it, it's not so much that I thought about hey, on this day, I should do that. But just part of the upbringing and being exposed to it repeatedly, I sort of just do it naturally. And it's not a thought process. Like you said, it's not like, oh, I, I shouldn't drink cold water on a cold day because of X, right? It's just more like, I just won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. oh, it's a summertime and, you know, Having chrysanthemum tea to, you know, is very soothing at this time of the year. And, you know, it's not so much that it's because of A, I do B. It's more of it, it's this exposure and upbringing and that we have ingrained in us. And sometimes I think with modern culture, we lose sight of this traditional knowledge and sharing this traditional knowledge with future generations. So I'm really happy that you know that you brought that aspect into it because we're, sometimes we feel it feels like we're so far removed from mother earth and all that she has to give and all the benefits she has and we just sort of stopped listened and observed nature as our ancestors did exactly yeah um what are some upcoming monographs that you guys are working on over there at hp there's a lot we have uh we're probably working on 12 right now at the same, pretty much at the same time. Um, some of the closest ones that are there are the therapeutic review of cannabis, which people have been waiting for for years, but mm -hmm. cannabis is a very tricky, controversial, um, very tough to, to provide a balanced viewpoint on cannabis therapeutics because you have either people that are scientists that are either positively biased or negatively biased. So they're either all for it or all against it. Then it's very hard to get a balanced review. And so I've been wrestling with that. Another one is a herb called Yerba Santa, which is a California native plant. 
Uh, no monograph has ever been written on Yerbasanta before. So that's exciting. And we found some actually new chemistry, new chemotype at Yerbasanta. But it's like OSHA that's used for, as a, uh, for the upper respiratory tract, mostly for upper respiratory infections that are really phlegmy, white phlegm. And um, so because no monograph's ever been done, I'm excited about that. Um, Epiberry is one that surfaced at the top of our list too, uh, mostly because of COVID. Um, I think mm -hmm. uh, if you saw the market analysis a few weeks ago, it was a 242% growth in elderberry sales over 2019 and 2021, uh, just because of in interest in COVID, because elderberry is used to both prevent flu and for the first stages of treating flu. It's one of the things I use. I I have gallons of it every year from our local elderberry. Uh, the elderberry we're monographing is predominantly the European elderberry because that's where most of the research is. Uh, obviously, mm. you know we're working on the Panax ginseng, the red Panax ginseng monograph, and we're pretty far along with that, and we're partnering with uh, researchers in Korea um, to work on the therapeutic and the pharmacology of that. Another big one that we work on with uh, the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine is a monograph on hemp. So this mm -hmm. is predominantly, and, it's, and actually it's predominantly hemp slash CBD because of the CBD kind of craze. And, uh, but also looking at hemp broadly, and that'll be in a good um, kind of correlation with the THC cannabis monograph. So those are some of the big ones that we're working on. Yeah. And if you haven't, if you have year end money that you want to donate and support a great cause, I highly recommend that you uh, support a monograph or two of your favorite herb that they're doing research on. And I think uh, if your company join and support the great work they do, uh, so I'm a big fan, big, big fan of the American Herbal Pharmacopeia. And one of the things that I am currently seeing out there is people seems that there is a rush to do things in a way that talking about elderberry is that I'm trying to understand a better and get your opinion of what is economic adulteration, which is, you know, where people, the vendor is making some kind of bad motive move versus when maybe the buyer may not be clear enough about exactly what they want and assume that they understand and will instead of you know elderberry right there's many species of elderberry and if you say elderberry and i gave you for example something that is native to america versus the Euro european species you know it's going to fail identity um, at the lab if the lab is clear about what it is testing on, but the buyer wasn't clear on. So this is back to specs and monographs and, you know, all back to what you guys are doing. But what is your viewpoint on how much of it is a lack of knowledge maybe or a lack of detail on the buyers versus actual, you know, real bad motives? You know, what is that sort of mixture based on your experience? Yeah, I think it's yeah, probably, I think it's probably it's a it's tough a question, tough but I think question, it's probably, it's probably something like 60-40, where mm. uh, sixty percent of people that they don't really know what they should be asking for, how they should be asking for it. The specs are not detailed enough. 
Um, whoever developed the specs didn't know the nuances of herb identity and herb quality. And so these are some of the problematic things. And I think that there's a 30 to 40% of people out there, and unfortunately I, that's pretty high, that, mm -hmm. um, that will intentionally cut corners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and this is in every culture. Um, you know, if they don't have enough panic ginseng today to make an extract, panic ginseng root, um, well, throw in a bunch of leaf to make your extract and build up the ginsenoside profile has almost the exact same constituent profile. So kind of why not do that? You know, you're not really ripping somebody off. But then you have a, a smaller percent. I think that's a, a larger percentage mm -hmm. of those yeah. people that are doing it purposely. Yeah. They're trying to do these little substitutes that might not be that big of a deal. They don't introduce a safety hazard. But then you have a very small percentage of people that just don't care. So, for example, many years ago when kava was a big thing uh, in, in, in parties, in rage parties, um, there was a company in Texas who ran out of kava, so they substituted it with a agricultural chemical that sent about 75 kids who went to the same party where kava was being served, sent them to the emergency room in one night. That's just gross, intentional, negligent, and criminal, in, in my opinion, criminal behavior. Or um, there's also, for example, records of people pre-extracting herbs like saffron, ginseng, high high cost herbs extracting them first in their whole form drying them and then reselling that as whole material now in reality it, it is really ginseng and it's really saffron but it's saffron that all the benefit has been removed from or ginseng which has been removed of ginsenicides mm -hmm. that, that's a I think that's a relatively small percentage of the people that actually do it for criminal purposes. Um, but nevertheless, it happens. And, and again, that's the basis of the monographs. The monographs provides every bit of information that somebody needs to understand the supply chain, the adulterations, why they happen, how to prevent them, what they look like, taste like, smell like, how you chemically analyze them. So nobody can ever say, I didn't have that information at my fingertips because they do if they have an AHP monograph. Yeah. And I think that's the key, right? Is education, education on the buyer's part, education on the seller's part, and really getting everyone that's involved, whether it's sourcing, QC, QA, um, formulation, everyone to be educated about the herbs that they are using and the proper, you know, what's the proper way to use it? What's the proper way to grow it? What's the chemical constituents? And just, it, it just allows a lot of benefit to the whole system when everyone's on the same page. And I think that's what it does better than any other document out there. I think you also have to add into that mix, though, Wilson, is uh, regulators. The regulators mm -hmm. also have to know these nuances because most of the most of the inspectors are not trained in herbal medicine, obviously. So, but what they, they are trained in is looking at processes. So they might walk into a, a factory and say, let me look at your lab documents. But they don't know what those lab documents really mean. 
They just want to see that they have records, that they have specs, that they're following their specs, but their specs might be crap. While the <laughs> monographs also help to inform regulators as to the nuances of what they should be looking at. Makes so much sense. And Roy, thank you for your time. And once again, everyone, if uh, if you got, if you really should go visit uh, on the American Herbal Pharmacopeia's website, check out the work they do and see what monographs you want to support that are coming out. There are a lot of exciting ones that he mentioned. And thank you so much. Have a wonderful holidays, Roy. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, Wilson. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the business of herbs and botanicals, visit newherbs.com. To keep listening to great episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, or Spotify, and make sure to give us a rating too. 